Well, we're back to 2 Timothy, and we're just here at the outset. So if you're visiting with us or you haven't been with us, welcome to the second letter of Paul to Timothy. This is the final um, section of writing that we have from the Apostle Paul. In fact, these are probably his last words that were ever penned. He is just about to die, and uh, he's in a Roman prison after Nero had blamed the burning of Rome on the Christians to save his own skin and his own reputation and to mask one time more, mask his insanity. Uh, He blamed it on the believers, and that kicked off the greatest persecution of the time of the body of Christ. And Paul was captured in that, put in prison, and uh, tradition would tell us that he was taken outside the city and he was beheaded um, with a sword uh, just not too long after the point of 2 Timothy's writing. This is written sometime between 64 and 68 A.D., and uh, it's interesting to think that already in Second Timothy, we're only, you know, I don't know, what's our page number, 16 here? We're only, excuse me, 200 pages from our gospel accounts, which make us feel like we're closer, although the Gospel of John is probably later. Um, but we are already 60 plus years from the crucifixion when we get to this point. And already, in that short amount of time, in just 60 to 65 years, error has crept into the brand new baby church, and the people of God are in danger. And these letters are written for the very purpose of calling Timothy to purity in his leadership and calling the church to purity in its worship before God. Uh, We're going to finish up the introductory section. If you were with us last week, we did a little outline of this book together. And uh, the introductory section takes us through verse 7. We did 1 and 2 last week. We're going to do 3 through 7 this week. Not a real um, in-depth section. Uh, Not difficult for us to grasp. A lot of it is right there at the surface level. And yet it is profound. And I think it will be an encouragement to you as we close out the Lord's Day together. Um, We'll move then next week into verse 8 and begin the real main body of the letter. And there are several sections of encouragement here that... Paul gives to Timothy, beginning in verse 8, and carrying us all the way through to chapter 4 as he concludes with his personal instructions and kind of wraps up the letter. But for tonight's purpose, we're going to spend our time looking at the conclusion of the introduction, the end of the introduction, if you will, um, in this letter of 2 Timothy. Most of us throughout our lives have at some point or another had a mentor in our lives that we considered Uh, to be a special gift from the Lord. Maybe we've had multiple mentors. Maybe you've been blessed, like I have been, to have several key individuals who were a part of my life and leaders in my life at different points in my spiritual development and in my growth in grace. I remember in college um, desiring to have somebody who was already where I wanted to be and who was doing what I wanted to do come alongside of me and have the opportunity to interact and to learn by watching that individual. And I didn't know who that would be. I didn't even know if that was possible. And yet in God's kindness, you got to hear that individual a couple Sunday nights ago, Pastor David Whitcomb. God superintended in his providence um, my interaction with him. His sons were a part of my Christian fraternity. And uh, we fellowshiped together, knew each other since high school. Uh, Renee and I had started to see each other, though we just were calling each other friends at that point. Nobody was being fooled, including us. 
Uh, we knew where this thing was going. Uh, I think we may have even been special friends at that point. We had like degrees of friendship. Hey, when you date for four years, you got to have something to to like look forward to. Um, so anyway, we decided we wanted to uh, look at some other churches in the area, and uh, we could not attend a church that we wanted to attend on a Sunday evening. We couldn't get there together, so. We decided in the last minutes of that day, I just said, well, let's just go over to Witty's church, which was what we called Pastor Wickham's oldest son. I said, let's go to Witty's church, and uh, his dad's a pastor, and I think a bunch of the Beta Gamma guys go there, so we'll just go there. And we said, okay. And then we made a deal that we wouldn't talk about it until after we had gone, and let's just kind of see what it's like. So we went, and I'll never forget those moments, realizing that this was... This was the person. This was the kind of guy that I wanted to learn from. It was 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I remember where we sat, everything about it. And God had superintended the opportunity for a mentor in my life. Over the years, I haven't lived in South Carolina for quite a while now. I don't talk with pastor on a weekly basis. We don't interact that much. And yet there have been special times throughout my life and in these years since I've left where I've had opportunities to receive letters from him or a phone call from him where he recounted to me what he knew to be true about me. He encouraged me with realities that were part of my life by God's grace. And then in the course of that discussion, called on me to continue to develop and to grow in dependence on the Lord. And to be faithful to what God had obviously started in me some years ago, even when he was a part of my life. It's no different, really, in its essence than what we find here. The only difference is Paul is writing under the movement of the Holy Spirit, and this letter will end with inspiration and perfection as the mentor writes to the young protege, Timothy. And in this particular introductory section, he reminds Timothy of what he knows to be true about Timothy's life from the past. He remembers, and you'll find the same word repeated through this paragraph. And he does so, so that in the conclusion of that introductory material, he can remind Timothy of the need and the necessity in Timothy's ministry life for him to continue to move forward in his development and in his growth by God's grace. This seems to be the goal of the old man Paul, who is about to die, to the young man Timothy, who is battling with the daily struggles of ministry life as a young shepherd, as a young elder in the church. Interesting to think and to keep in context in our thinking that Paul is writing this from a dark, disgusting dungeon in Rome. Timothy is receiving this from the affluent Ephesus where he is ministering to a number of people. Uh, there are multiple elders in the church at Ephesus. There are probably multiple house churches at Ephesus what we understand. And so here's Timothy in the mundane of the daily life. He's struggling. He's battling with problems in the church. He's battling with the consistent issues that go on in ministry. And no doubt Timothy is frustrated. He's, over, he's overwhelmed. He becomes weak. He is timid. He is fearful. And the Apostle Paul, sitting in the most disgusting of circumstances, looking at the reality of death, takes the time to pen this letter of encouragement and this paragraph of introduction for Timothy. And what a blessing these words must have been. What an absolute grounding effect these must have had. Paul will go back tonight and he'll take us to the basics of Timothy's life 
And then he will call on him to the most elementary principle of ministry. And uh, this must have set the tone for this letter. In fact, probably on the first reading, when we got through, when Timothy got through verse 7, and there was no verse 7, when Timothy got through that sentence, he no doubt thought to himself, wow, I wonder what's coming next. Because he set me up here for a letter that will be strong in encouragement to young Timothy. Let's read it together. We'll read just the first chapter of 2 Timothy, just to kind of set our course and to get familiar with this. We'll try to do this as much as we can, reading these chapters and helping us to stay very familiar with what we find here. Okay? You can read along with me in your copy of God's Word. I'll begin in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember your, you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know of all service he rendered at Ephesus. This is the word of the Lord for us this evening from 2 Timothy chapter 1. This evening our goal will be to discover the two primary themes of Paul's introduction in the last letter to Timothy so that we might learn from his example and be prompted with Timothy to faithfulness before God. Okay, the two primary themes, and they are not hard for us to find. Here's how I've outlined them if you're taking notes. The two primary themes that we're going to discover this evening from verses 3 through 7 are number one, Paul's grateful memory in verses 3 through 5, and then secondly, Timothy's courageous mandate in verses 6 and 7. Paul's grateful memory in verses 3 through 5, and Timothy's courageous mandate in verses 6 and 7. 
And I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but the only reason that we outline like that and use a proposition like that, uh, this is a more casual setting, we can talk about this, but the reason that I would read you a proposition, there are going to be two major themes. And the reason that there are two major themes that we're going to utilize and use as an outline heading tonight is just for hooks for you to place what we see in these passages, hang them on those hooks of the outline. It's just a tool to help you remember what's here. And uh, don't ever get confused. These are not inspired outlines. Many of you, if you're like me, you're analytical, and you sit there while I'm giving my outline, and you're coming up with a better outline. And I'm welcome. I, I'm more than open to your, um, your recommendations to me. In fact, when I was at Grace Community and I was teaching on a consistent basis, I had a lady who would consistently help me with my outline after I taught. And uh, she is very precious to me, and she was really good at outlining. So I learned a lot. So that's why we do outlines. That's why we're looking for two primary themes tonight. And I think that we will find those two themes directly from the text. They'll come right out of the text as we study it together. Okay? So, first of all, Paul's grateful memory. This is the first theme of this final section of the introduction. And it is Paul's grateful memory of Timothy. Beginning in verse 3, and we'll read all the way through verse 5, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded, or I have had a reminder, is the verb usage there, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you also. Now, you're studying through this, you're doing your Bible reading, and you've settled down into this paragraph, and you want to work through this paragraph. There is one theme that's going to constantly jump off the page at you in verses 3 through 5. And that is that in these introductory sections, Paul is all about his memory. He's remembering things in a dungeon in Rome that are for the encouragement of someone who's, in their day and age, halfway across the world in Ephesus. Okay? So Paul is, his theme, his theme here is his grateful memory. Why his grateful memory? Well, the first three words of verse 3 declare that Paul is thanking God. And he's thanking God based on his memory. What an encouragement this must have been to Timothy as he read these words and he started to see what this theme meant in these, just these couple of verses, just these few sentences. That Paul was thanking God for him. And that he was thanking God for him with specific memories in mind. Notice in verse 3 that the God of Paul was also the God of Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. And he will go on to say that it is the same God through which Timothy has come by faith. Okay, this is the same God. They worship God, Yahweh, God of heaven, through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Paul here declares that he thanks God, whom he serves as an apostle, and so served his ancestors. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? Paul here outlines not just a memory of Timothy's heritage, but he begins with his own heritage. Ethnic background, what nationality was the Apostle Paul by birth? He was a Jew. 
When he speaks here of his ancestors, he is not speaking directly of his parents. For we have no record of his parents being believers. In fact, they raised him in the religious system of the day. And yet Paul looks at his ancestral line through the nation of Israel. And he says, I serve Yahweh as did my ancestors, as did Abraham, who we've been speaking so much about, as did Isaac, Jacob, and the nation of Israel that were saved from their sin by faith in Christ. This is his heritage, and he does so with a conscience that has been cleared. The God of Paul's ancestors was that of Timothy. The God of Paul was served with a clear conscience. Paul constantly made reference to the conscience. He, he would continually come back to this theme, that he served God not with some tainted conscience. This isn't something that maybe we think about often. But there is really nothing more vital to us as believers, second to our justification, than our continual clearing of a conscience before our Heavenly Father. This is the theme of 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now the we in that verse and the us in that verse is the Apostle John and all those who are believers. say, well, I'm not in need of continual forgiveness. Hasn't God stamped me righteous? Haven't I been stamped forgiven at my justification? Hasn't God worked by His grace to bring faith in His Son and so to declare me righteous? Yes. Do you continue to sin? Yes. Does that now breach your relationship to your Father? Yes and no. Yes, in a sense that it cuts off your fellowship with Him. It hinders your relationship with Him. And no, it in no way separates you from your Father-Son adopted relationship or Father-Daughter adopted relationship. Paul here declared that he was serving God with a clear conscience, that is a sinless, confessed conscience before God. He had opened himself when he sinned. He was faithful to go before the Lord to declare sin as what it was, and so to serve God as much as was within his ability with a clear conscience. There was nothing tainting his conscience. His warning system was in full operation. Maybe you've not thought about the conscience much, and we should probably do a study at some point and just talk about the conscience. But the conscience is the Holy Spirit tool of warning in your life. It is the alert warning that goes off when sin is near or sin has actually taken place. Scriptures talk about us being able to sear our conscience, that is, to so build up the scar tissue on our conscience that it no longer even gets through. Pastor John has referenced it almost like a warning light from within. And the more we allow sin to go unconfessed, undealt with before God, 1 John 1, 9, the layers of dirt that are piled and dust that are piled on top of that light until the warning light is going off and it's glaring And there's nothing getting through. We've been so covered, we're so seared, we're so deadened to the effect of our conscience 
that we are unaware of the danger that is right before us. Paul says that he served, as did his ancestors. He's looking at his heritage, but his service was done with a clear conscience, with a conscience that was in full operation and in all of its potency. This is the gratitude of Paul. He thanks God, and then Paul, being Paul, can't say the word God, can't write the word of God down and and say I thank God without thinking about who God is and what his relationship is to the Apostle Paul. But here's what he remembers. He remembers to God, Timothy, constantly in his prayers, night and day, the end of verse 3 tells us. The God of Paul was not only served with a clear conscience, but he was hearing the gratitude of the Apostle in constant prayer on behalf of Timothy. Now notice how much pain Paul takes to speak in big, huge terms for the encouragement of Timothy in this introduction. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now that doesn't that seem just a little bit redundant? If you're doing something constantly, obviously you're doing it night and day. Because the idea is unceasing, unbroken action. And Paul is using hyperbole. He is using big, huge ideas of constant day in, day out, night and day prayer. And yet we have no reason to believe that Paul's in any way speaking with exaggeration. He legitimately was grateful and brought that gratitude to God on a consistent basis for the life of Timothy. This was his opening introduction to Timothy. He was so grateful that he remembered Timothy before God constantly, night and day. Another reason that we know that night and day is probably a figure of speech that Paul is using much like we would today that just means on an ongoing basis because they would have no ability to see night or day in the dungeon. They would have no ability to know what hour of the day it was. There were no windows. They might have had a hole in the roof where they could see light, but we have no no confidence that he would have any idea when day was there and when night was there or what time of the day it was. So let's look at this just first, right before we jump into verse 4, and and think about this with me, about the encouragement that Paul offers Timothy with these simple words. Number one, they serve the same God. Number two, Paul is remaining faithful. He is serving God with a clear conscience even in these last days of his life. And number three, Paul is praying around the clock for Timothy. You talk about an opening line. He says, hey, it's me, Paul, and I'm writing to you, Timothy. That's the formal introduction. And then he gives that blessing, grace, mercy, and peace to you. And then he says, now, Timothy, let's get down to the personal aspect. I love you. I am grateful for you. And I'm continuing to be faithful, and I am praying for you around the clock. This is Paul's grateful memory of Timothy. He remembered Timothy, number one, with constant prayer. Number two... He remembered Timothy with consistent affection. Look at verse 4. As I remembered your tears, or remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul's gratitude was not only brought in remembrance to God, but it was also in specific memory of activities with young Timothy. Now there's no cross-reference, I would assume, in your Bible if you're looking for one, to find out when those tears were cried by Timothy that Paul's remembering. We don't have any reference that tells us exactly what the scenario was, but because of what the second half of the verse tells us, 
we would assume that the tears that are cried at the first part of verse 4 were sorrowful and sad tears and that they would be made joy by coming in contact again with the Apostle Paul. So what does that tell us about those tears? Those tears were most likely cried when they broke company, when Paul left. You can imagine Timothy's scenario. Here's young Timothy. He gets stationed by the Apostle Paul at Ephesus to take on the leadership of this church. And Paul, there is that moment where Paul says, Okay, bud, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. There's more to be done. And in a society where sorrow was expressed and grief and emotions were at the surface, Timothy poured out tears at the departure of Paul. And Paul remembers it. He's never forgotten. In fact, we see this in another scenario with Paul. You can go to Acts chapter 20 and you can see this same thing happen with another group of men. Acts chapter 20. And interestingly enough, it's the group of men that good old Timothy is ministering with now because it's the elders who were at Ephesus. Paul was up at Miletus and he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders to come and to see him. And he tells them that he's going to go to Jerusalem. And he also tells them that all kinds of things are going to happen. Fierce wolves are going to come in. All the things that we see in these letters to Timothy at Ephesus, he foretells to them that these are what they need to be watching out for. He then concludes with verse 36. And Luke tells us in recounting this this situation, and when he had said these things, that's when Paul had finished talking, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Okay, so here's Paul and the Ephesus, the elders at Ephesus. They're together, and they kneel down, and they pray together. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied, excuse me, they accompanied him to the ship. This is like something from a movie, all right? These men come together. Paul says, I want to talk with you guys because I don't think we're ever going to see each other again. Here's what's going to happen in the church. Here's what you're responsible for. Set yourself for success before God's eyes in faithfulness to his local assembly. And then he says, I'm done. Let's pray. And while he's praying, these guys are falling apart because Paul is about to get on a ship and probably never be seen to them again. So Paul remembered Timothy in prayer before God, and now in verse 4, he remembers him with sweet affection because he remembers Timothy's tears at their departure. The response in Paul was a longing to see Timothy. He was homesick for the fellowship that he enjoyed with his young protege. In fact, at the end of the verse, he gives this purpose statement, I want to see you, why? So that I may be filled with joy. These are words from a mentor that would set a course for um, energy and excitement to be faithful to what you and your mentor had set your lives to be faithful to. Here's an old man who's about to die in a prison telling you that he remembers your tears and he just wants to see you so badly. And he knows that if he were to see you, it would be a joyful reunion. He loves your fellowship. This is Paul's grateful memory. Of Timothy. Timothy's tears assured Paul that to see Timothy again would be sheer joy. The sorrow that they had when they departed from each other 
would only be fixed if they were, in fact, to see each other again. And they never did. They never would see each other. And though Paul knew, even while he penned this letter, that the chances were he would never see Timothy, he desired it. Oh, he longed to see this young man that he had loved so faithfully. So Paul remembered Timothy with constant prayer. He remembers him with affection in verse 4. And then finally in verse 5, Paul remembers Timothy with spiritual confidence. What an, what an amazing introduction to a letter. He says in verse 5, I am reminded, or I have been reminded, of your sincere faith. And you say, well, why is that verb important? Why do you keep saying that? Well, it's important because the idea that Paul gives here is there was something in his present experience that drew his mind back to Timothy. In other words, something was going on, or somebody had come into the life of Paul, or something had happened, which sparked in Paul's memory Man, that makes me think of Timothy's faith. You know, we've had this happen, right? You're at a restaurant or you see somebody that you haven't seen in a long time or maybe even it's a loved one who is not with us anymore and you see somebody and you think, man, that, that, reminds, me, that reminds me of this person. Oh, that was, they were so precious in this particular aspect of their life. Or maybe it's even a direct application like this where we say, wow, that person reminded me with their faith of so-and-so. Here's old Paul. He's going to die soon. He's been faithful to the end. And he has been reminded. He has had something spark his memory to the faith of young Timothy. And the confidence that he has in the spiritual life in Timothy is outlined for us in verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Timothy had a sincere faith. And sincere is just a word that really just just flies right over, doesn't it? It just slides right past our thinking because we use it so flippantly. He seems like a really sincere guy. She's a very sincere lady. What, what does that mean? Sincerity is the, uh, the opposite of hypocritical. It is genuine. You can bite on it and you're not going to sink through and find out that the metal underneath is not what the paint says it is it's real the, the inside is the same as the outside and so paul here remembers about timothy he says i've had it come to my mind that you have an unhypocritical faith it's the real deal timothy that's what i remember that's what I'm remembering with gratitude as I go before God in prayer for you constantly. I'm remembering how much I love you, and I'm remembering how sincere, how real, how genuine, how authentic is your faith. Not only was it a sincere faith or a genuine faith, but it was a faith that had come with a heritage. And we know this passage so well. A faith... The second part of verse 5 says that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Acts chapter 16 verses 1 through 6, 1 through 7. Acts chapter 16 is where we find this first description, 1 through 5. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 16 verse 1 through 5. Paul comes to Derby and to Lystra. And he meets a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. And then this contrast, but, is a very contrastive term, but his father was a Greek. In other words, his father was a Gentile unbeliever. His mother was a Jewish believer. 
His father was a Gentile unbeliever. And it goes even behind his grand, or his mother to his grandmother. And this was passed on. The gospel was communicated through the generations of women in the family that Timothy grew up in. And so Paul remembers. He says, I don't just remember your sincere faith, but I remember that faith in your grandma. And I remember that faith in your mom. And I'm confident that that's the same faith I now see in you. And I remember. I remember I have grateful memories, Timothy, of you. Paul's introduction, his gratitude, is a source of encouragement from prison to a young pastor who is burdened by the cares of the church at Ephesus. It focuses on Paul's confidence and love for Timothy, and it will be the basis upon which he will call Timothy now to courage and to battling for the truth. This introduction is not one that is wasted. It is a powerful, bottom-line, ground-level foundation upon which Paul will build. He is bolstering the confidence of Timothy by his own memories of Timothy's life. The only thing that I can bring this in my own life to uh, comprehend what Timothy must have gleaned from this is the rare occasion when I've received a handwritten note from my own dad. Uh, just doesn't have the time. We never have the time to sit and write a handwritten note. And so there's something about receiving a handwritten letter that speaks both to uh, the pleasure and excitement of what is happening as well as encourages for continual growth. Timothy got a handwritten letter from his mentor, an inspired handwritten letter from his mentor that remembered the truth about Timothy's life and called upon him to act in accordance with what was true in the memory of Paul. That brings us then from that first theme of Paul's grateful um, remembrance to the second theme, and we find it, and we're so familiar with these verses, in verse 6 and 7 we find Timothy's courageous mandate, the second theme in verses 6 and 7. Timothy's courageous mandate. Paul here connects us in verse 6 back to what he just said. He says at the beginning of verse 6, For this reason I remind you. So he uses a play on words and he says, For the reason I just communicated, now I'm going to remind you of something, Timothy. Alright, I've had all this remembrance, and the whole point of my remembrance is for me to get to remind you about something that you already know as well. And what is that reminder going to be for young Timothy? What is going to be the base introductory information that Timothy needs to take into account and act upon at the outset of this letter. Well, verse 6 tells us. He's reminding Timothy to be about fanning into flame the gift of God. Timothy was to stoke the spiritual fire of his ministry gift. He was to give oxygen to the flame that was buried down in the coals. He was to open that section up and put air in there, fan it, so that it would burst into flame. The idea here is that Timothy's um, embers of spiritual giftedness were glowing softer and softer. And Paul says, you already know what you should be about, and you should be first and foremost about fanning into flame, bringing to fire the gift that God has given you. 
And this is particularly a ministry gift that God had given young Timothy. Timothy was to stoke the spirit fire of his ministry gift. The gift is singular here, and it was made manifest at the laying on of hands by Paul. In fact, at the second or last part of the verse, Paul says, which is in you through the means by which it is in you is the laying on of my hands. And we see this, we've already seen this, back in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, where Paul told Timothy in his first letter, do not neglect the gift that you have. Same idea. Which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So there were prophetic words spoken about the ministry of Timothy. There was a laying on of hands by the elders and by the Apostle Paul. And all of these things were the means by which God ordained the giving of the ministry gift to Timothy. He received it at salvation, as you all did, receiving your spiritual gifts. And yet it was made manifest through the laying on of hands of the Apostle Paul and the elders and the prophetic utterances. Now we don't have time to do this this evening, but we will have time in the future to study spiritual gifts and all that the Scriptures teach about the gifting of each believer for the sake of ministry. But if you want to know just a couple of passages that can set you on a course of study, Romans chapter 12, verse three through, verses 3 through 8, will help inform you about the ministry of spiritual giftedness as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, and really all the way through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, if you would like to study in-depthly and get a grasp of all that scriptures teach about the gifting for ministry. Timothy was to take the gift that was his. It was a preaching and teaching gift. It was a shepherding gift. And he was to fan it into flame. He was to stoke it until it was burning and raging on fire for the glory of God. Now there's a reason, there's, there's an underlying reason why Timothy should be fanning into flame the gift that God has given him. There's an underlying uh, means that God has provided for Timothy to do exactly what Paul is commending him to do in verse 6. And we find that in verse 7. Timothy was not only to stoke the spirit fire of his ministry gift, but he was to re- rely upon the means that God had provided for him to do so. And we find that in verse 7. And maybe some of you have done scripture memory plans and you've only memorized verse 7. Now you have a little bit of a context of where Paul's coming from. Could replace the word for at the outset of verse 7 with because or on account of or for this reason. Because God gave us a spirit, not a fear, that is a small s spirit. He gave us an internal reality that is not a fearful one, but a powerful one, a loving one, and a self-controlled one. This is the means by which we have the opportunity and the privilege of utilizing the gifts that God has given us for the sake of His people. First of all, we have the negative given to us in verse 7. God has given us a spirit, but it's not a spirit of fear. So anything in the life of ministry that is driven by fear, fear of man, fear of punishment, fear of suffering, fear is not the basis upon which we are to operate as God's servants. Now there is no doubt in your mind, you're 
biblically informed mind that you're thinking, well, aren't we to be driven by a fear of God? Yes, absolutely. But the idea here when we come to Timothy, and if you're with us for the study of 1 Timothy, you know that the fear spoken of here is not a fear that trembles at the word of God and responds in obedience. This is a fear that trembles at the thought of the reprisal of standing for the word of God. Timothy was timid. Timothy was afraid. He was scared. And Paul says, fan that gift into flame, Timothy. Don't let those embers go out. Why? Because your spirit is not one of fear. Not the one God gave you. Not the supernaturally granted spirit. Not the inner man that was given to you at your salvation. It is not a spirit of fear, of timidity, of kowtowing. But it is a spirit of power. We have these three positives. Power, love, self-control. We don't have time to unpack all of these, but let me just give you some cross-references that could provide an opportunity for study this week if you desired to. When God speaks through Paul here of the power of the inner man, this is the resurrection power that we find God using to raise his own son Christ. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, Paul describes the power that comes through God as the very power by which he raised Jesus Christ. Talk about a confidence boost. This is what God has made you to be, Timothy, a man of power, supernatural power, the power that comes only from God. This is not a personality trait. This is not something that was practiced until you got it. This is something God granted to you. You're not marked by fear, but the spirit that is from God is marked by power. Secondly, it's marked by love. This is the self-sacrificing principle of love that drives the believer toward God and toward others. Romans 5.5, Ephesians 3.19, Ephesians 5.25-27, we just talked about that. Husbands loving their wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This is a Christ-like love. This is the mark of the one who has been granted an inner man from God himself. Power, love. And then finally we have the term self-control. And maybe your translation uses a different word because there are multiple good options for this word in verse 7. Power, love, and discipline. Potentially you have as your translation. But self-control is probably the best option because it is the broadest option for us. The idea here is not of discipline just in a physical discipline or just in a mental discipline, but it is an overall attribute of the believer that their spirit is one of self-control. This is another word for the discipline of the whole of the Christian life. This is the provision that God makes. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, At the outset of that passage dealing with the spiritual gifts, Paul says to the Roman church, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. It's the same concept. With sober judgment. With self-control. With a sound mind. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 and Titus 1, 8 both utilize this same description 
of the inner man that God gives supernaturally at conversion as a key attribute of the life of one who would be a shepherd of his people. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. Those are both our sections that we should think, boom, those are the qualifications for being an elder in the church. And this attribute is one that marks those men who are set apart for the pastoral ministry. This is the reality of a God-given inner man. It's a threefold quality that marks the believer, and it's not a natural reality that some are born with and some develop in the classroom or some practice enough to get it. These are divinely bestowed grace gifts that we must live in the reality of. So Paul has grateful memories of Timothy here in the introduction, and he concludes then with a courageous mandate for Timothy. Timothy, be serious about fanning and deflame that gift because God has supplied you not with a spirit of fear and timidity, not with hiding your gift and hunkering down and trying to stay safe, but a power and love and discipline, self-control of your life. This is the courageous mandate that Paul gives to Timothy in the conclusion of this introduction. So Paul remembers a lot, and then he reminds a little. Twofold, two themes, remembering and then reminding. Paul is consistent, he's faithful to encourage Timothy and then to push Timothy forward in his development and growth. No matter what our story is in our faith in Christ, no matter where we've come from, the call for us to be concerned with the utilization of our gifts for His body is a universal one. We must be about this. And secondarily, I thought it would be important for us, and maybe you could do this later on in the week, to learn from the way the Apostle Paul provides true biblical encouragement. He doesn't say things that are just flippant or superficial or hey, I remember that you're a good guy and you're going to be all right, just just hang in there and all these other kind of coined phrases. He says, no, I remember specific things and those specific things drive me to prayer for you on a consistent basis. You want to encourage somebody who is a believer? Pray for them and then tell them that you're praying for them. Remember what God has done in their lives and tell them what you remember that God has done in their lives. Remember fruits of their faith that you have seen. Remember fruits of grace that are evident in their lives. And then communicate those fruits of grace that you see as evident in their lives. This is true biblical encouragement. Why? Because it focuses the Christian back on what God has done in their lives. It reaffirms that in fact He has been involved. He has brought new life. And it provides the opportunity for us to provoke one another, just as Paul does here with these words, to love and good works, a life not driven by fear, but one of power, love, and self-control.